Hey there, Margie Bryce here bringing you the Krabby Pastor Podcast. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised to know that it's too easy today to become the Krabby Pastor. Our time together will give you food for thought to help you be the ministry leader fully surrendered to God's purposes and living into whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there. So we're talking about sustainability in ministry. Well, hey there, Uh, it is Margie Bryce back after some sabbatical time. So you know, that's your, that's my disclaimer. Maybe it should be my warning. I'm not sure which, but we shall see. And I have with me, I'm really looking forward. I've been looking forward to this interview, Alan Fadling with me. And he is the author of An Unhurried Leader. That is not, for the record, an oxymoron, people. (laughs) It really is not. So, Alan, why don't you start us off by telling us a bit about your nonprofit, your ministry, and your books? Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you, Margie. And um, as far as Unhurried Leader, you're right. It's not an oxymoron, though. To some years, it sounds like one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Really, we are about helping leaders live a life that is sustainable. And sustainable is like the low bar. Uh, We'd like to see if we can't help people live a flourishing life and be flourishing leaders. And so a lot of what we do, whether we're speaking or training or writing books, is to try and help leaders rediscover the genius of Jesus' unhurried way. We just think that's part of what he came to show us, what that abundant life was going to look like was a less frantic, less frenetic, less hurried sort of life. And so that's a little bit about who we are and a little bit about what we do. Yes, and I think we're kindred spirits. I know I like to Mm. say that I am a self-care advocate for ministry leaders. And then my uh, Facebook group is Self-Care and Sustainability for Ministry Leaders. So, yeah, and like you said, sustainability is kind of the low bar but really it's not if anybody here you know and we'll raise our hands here on this side of things for who has who here has been burnt out oh hey, man raise your hands absolutely <laughs> it's true I think you you were mentioning about your story and but before we get into that because i always forget this Except I I even have this on my card in all capital letters, what makes you crabby? Because I got all the way through one of my interviews and the gentleman at the end said, you never asked me what made me crabby. (laughs) So I I thought, okay, that's our new gig here is to ask close to upfront so I don't get immersed in what you're talking about Yeah, and forget. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm... um... Uh, a person who likes structure, and so I'm, I get crabby at unwelcome surprises. I'm usually fairly crabby when I'm being misunderstood by somebody else. Criticism has a way of making me a bit crabby. Oh, that's and, a good one. <laughs> yeah, and then the last would be self-absorbed people on the freeways. Oh, really crabby. <laughs> Ah. And you live in California. And I live in uh, Southern California where that happens a lot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you get you get high marks 
for honesty here, you didn't come up with just one, but a yeah. few. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, why proud. not? Let's be honest, huh? I know. I know. <laughs> Let's have honest conversation. Well, great. Well, why don't you move us into uh, your story of how you came to pursue your ministry? It's called Unhurried Living, correct? That's right. It's yeah. Unhurriedliving.com. That's so our ahead, address. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, our story, I've actually this month, at least as you and I are recording this, is my 40th year in paid ministry. But in my first decade, maybe even just my first five years, what had been modeled for me to use a language we just used a moment ago was utterly unsustainable. Mm -hmm. I was a full-time local church college pastor. I was a full-time student in seminary. I was newly married. You could say, if you want to use a metaphor for it, I was burning the candle on both ends and melting mm -hmm. it in the middle. Oh, uh, it, my. it was not going to work. And I remember I'm in my later 20s, and I have a crisis of ministry. And the crisis is, I can't keep doing this for a few more months the way I'm doing it. And I kind of had the idea I might do this for more decades. I've got yeah. a problem. Mm. <laughs> and it was, it was at that moment that God brought along a few mentors. And they were living much more sustainable, I would say much more abundant lives than I was, and they were 10 and 15 and 20 years older than me. And really, they just reintroduced me to the ways of Jesus, you know, that he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. I never did. I felt like the more I did at church and the more I did at school, the better I was, the more important I was, which is a great recipe for burnout. You know, if you need one, I highly recommend that one. That one works really, really well. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> If, you, if you're looking for if a That's what you're method. trying for. Now, I hope no, none of your listeners are, but it, it worked, right. sadly, very well for me. And so I began to practice what I would call unhurried practices, uh, You know, your language of doing well at self-care or soul care. Mm -hmm. I made space for that, and I began to make space for that in the lives of those alongside whom I worked or for whom I served as a supervisor. I began to work with them to be sure they were creating sustainable patterns in their lives. And so that's a little bit of the beginning. That was a little over 30 years ago. And uh, we've continued since then. Now, it's really interesting that I think the newer to ministry, younger folk today are kind of doing a real intentional job in in several instances of saying this ain't sustainable or this the work life balance especially since covid that really has come to the forefront and i know in your book in your book i'm going to quote you to you a bunch here cuz there's uh. just some really great stuff in it the one who hurries gets the most done for god yeah. and that sense that okay, you're called into ministry and you understand that God is going to use you, but you really are not the instrument of salvation. That would be the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And you're there as a part. So I don't mean to just negate people who serve in ministry, but we have to put ourselves in the proper place. So I liked what you said, unhurried leaders are more fruitful because it is more unhurried not 
in spite of the slower pace. Yeah. So you're more effective. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, you know, that that comment that you'd imagine some people think the most important thing is the one who is most hurried gets the most done for God. But that's a riff on an old, old line from Vincent DePaul from centuries yeah. ago. And his his line was, the one who hurries delays the things of God. Oh, that's and, potent. Oh, my goodness. And that one I've come back to many, many times. The irony, how many stories in, in the scriptures show somebody trying to help God out and uh, their help doesn't help as much. And mm. things take longer as a result. And th some things have to be mopped up or solved or re redeemed. I just think when I am slowing down, and, and by, by unhurry, by the way, I don't mean not active. I'm right now in a very busy season of ministry. There are a number of projects I'm engaged in. But what I'm trying to do is engage all of these things that are on my plate today with an unhurried soul. That's where hurry or unhurry happens. So in my in my soul, hurry sometimes looks like anxiety driving me. Sometimes it looks like me desperately wanting everyone around me to like the stuff I do. Well, those are both recipes for hurry. Because, you know, how much do you need to do to feel good about yourself? Well, the answer to that is a little more. Hmm. And, of yeah. course, that just becomes a treadmill. Right. And anxiety, even before COVID, I felt that anxiety was the number one uh, bad bad thing in uh, in the culture, driving a lot. Certainly in the North American culture, that's, you know, that's a heavy, heavy driver. and today after COVID, you're seeing churches. I just heard of a church the other day and they were respectable size, I guess, meaning over 250, 300 in there. And that was before COVID. And yeah. after COVID, there, this is the lowest count that I think I've heard so far was they're 33% of what they were after COVID. You know, and I'm hearing pastors saying, that the congregation they had before COVID is not the same congregation that they have after COVID. You know, I don't know if we're after either because just because there's a lot of post-COVID, post that's in air quotes for everybody. That, But what I'm seeing and starting to see, I think people are a little stranger than they were <laughs> right now before COVID. And I'm not sure whether this is a latent reaction to what we've all been through, but certainly there's a lot of anxiety about church and where we go from here and what's our next steps. Um, so talk to us about how the unhurried lifestyle can help. Yeah. Well, I'm actually working on a project right now. It's still probably a good year away from releasing, but it's on the topic of anxiety. And the reason I'm writing on that is because the more I speak with leaders about hurry or about the invitation to be unhurried, the more I realize that the unique flavor of hurry that is common to a lot of people in caring ministries, whether that's in churches or in other settings, um, is in fact anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that has been one of my lifelong struggles is the challenge of anxiety. And so I have tried to, you know, do well in my ministry to somehow 
quiet my own anxiety. I've tried to perform well enough to make my anxiety go away. And of course, that didn't work so well. The thing that I'm finding is I'm learning how attached to my anxiety I've become over my years. I'm 62 this year. And uh, as long as I can remember, anxiety has been an issue. But what I'm finding is that Jesus just might be right about my anxiety, that it actually doesn't lengthen my life or improve my performance or add an inch to my stature or you know any of those <laughs> other things he says in that sermon, that in fact, it may just be doing me harm. But oddly, for the longest time, I realized I sort of thought my anxiety was an asset. Like it sort of drove me to high standards and it kept me going. And I realized that I was clinging to my anxiety as though mm. it were doing something for me. Now, saying that out loud just sounds about as silly as 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 anything else I might say. But I wonder how many of your listeners, if they thought about it, if anxiety has been an issue for them, if it, I think we use these strategies because for some way or another that they work for us, or they seem to work for us. And one of the great gifts over the last few years, and especially these two or three years of pandemic, isolation especially, mm -hmm. uh, it provoked my anxieties in new ways. And I'd had, I had to lean into it or I just wasn't going to be able to function. And I began to realize, you know, I really could live and lead better from places of peace than I could ever do from places of anxiety. And I'm learning that peace is possible as mm -hmm. an operating system instead of my familiar anxiety. Yeah, that's interesting that you say familiar because that's what happens. I think you get used to ways of being and ways of responding. And if it's out of anxiety, it's not going to help. I had a colleague, a ministry colleague, and hopefully, well, I don't know if you're out there listening, I won't name you, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they told me that they knew that if they worried and was anxious about something, that it wouldn't happen. Oh. Imagine that connection. Oh, you know? yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I just was, I was stunned for a minute and just didn't even know how to respond to that and thought, wow, what, what an anxiety trap to be stuck in. And you had, you mentioned in your book, other engines, um, engine of anxiety for one, but uh, fear was another one. And certainly again, you know, you're seeing churches where, they're much smaller, not just in numbers, but in money, which mm -hmm. then also has an impact on personnel, which has an impact, yada, yada, you know, you're going down the, down the pike. And that, that can definitely play into fear and it can play into things, other things that you mentioned, like anger. Yeah. No, that's really true. Yeah. You know, like your friend who uh, sort of had the idea that if he worried about something or, you know, it, it wouldn't happen. I realized, you know, for me, um, for the longest time, I thought if I worried about something coming up in the future and just ruminated on it a lot, I'd be better prepared when it came. So that was one of the things I thought anxiety was doing for me. Oh, wow. And, you know, now again, I say that out loud. It's like, I don't think it was doing as much for me as I've imagined. So I sort of call uh, anxiety my, uh, not so wonderful counselor. So that that has been a flavor of my own recovery from hurry and then learning how to live more unhurried. And I just think it, it has been more abundant and more sustainable to live this way and to lead this way. 
for sure. And you also mentioned, which I, I regard myself sometimes <laughs> as a recovering perfectionist. Oh, yeah. Because you, you mentioned that as another engine, as opposed to the engine of trust and trusting Christ and, and nurturing that relationship first and foremost, as opposed to, oh, charge, we're going to go do this. We're going to take this city for Jesus. And oh, P.S. Jesus, if you want to come along on the bus with us, that's fine. You know, <laughs> which is yes. a, a totally different way of of going at it. Um, and you talk about that a lot in your book about how to uh, ensure that you have things in the proper order and proper perspective. Yeah. Well, I just think for my own recovery from perfectionism, one, I had to learn how to celebrate progress instead of waiting to celebrate some imagined perfection. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and progress is never perfect and nice, neat, upward slanting line. You know, sometimes it's a step or two back before we take a few steps forward. But that we can celebrate, we can appreciate. And the other thing is, my perfection is not as important as God's perfection. And being able to just enjoy the goodness of who God is, letting that be my gaze, that's freeing. And maybe the last thing I'll say is, my perfection has been the place where I've had to most learn what it means to grow in grace. You know, grace is not just a category for, you know, we're saved by grace, it's the doorway in that sort of thing. Grace is every step of this journey we're on. God is always meeting us with generosity, always meeting us as an empowering presence, always meeting us with the mercy, the forgiveness that perhaps we need. Yes. And, you know, so there were several things about, you know, what you were writing and how you were writing about things. The perfectionism caught my attention, anxiety. I think I've wrangled with that. But one other piece that you mentioned, and this means, um, because I discovered this while going, it was a pastoral care and counseling class, I think, in the seminary, where we had to go through overcoming the dark side of leadership, mm. go through that book. And that's where I realized, like you, I was a little more looking for the recognition and the mm. affirmation that yeah. I didn't get in my family of origin than what I anticipated. Now, just to say, too, that everybody that goes into leadership usually has some kind of vacuum issue that they are unknowingly maybe, uh, pursuing. All of us do that. And it doesn't mean that you're any less called or any less equipped for ministry, but it's a good idea for you to figure out the baggage that you're toting so that, so that you know, and then you can say, oh yeah, there's that again. So talk to us a little bit about that need for recognition that, that some of us have. Yeah. Well, that's a very personal story for me. I, I have sometimes said that there are at least two reasons I went into ministry as my life's work. One, I had a genuine sense that God was inviting me to be a part of what God was doing in, in this world. And in my vision, that meant serving in the church as a pastor. Mm -hmm. But the other reason I went into ministry was I was in a church that highly valued the study and the teaching of the scriptures. And I'm a thinker type of person, and I like to study and read and learn. And what I discovered was 
when I shared my insights, people would say, oh, that's a really good insight, Alan. And then something in me would say, oh, I want more of that. Mm, that's a big <laughs> admission. That's a really big admission that you just made to be able to, to say that. I want more of that. Yeah. Well, what I discovered, and, and maybe this is the way to say it for all of us who are in this uh, episode listening, those listening, is I realized in a way I was bringing my thirsts to my ministry mm-hmm. instead of bringing my thirsts to God. In this case, specifically recognition. Now, the difference it made when I began to realize I have someone who recognizes me, affirms, appreciates, delights in, values me. And when I have gotten in touch with that sense of being a beloved child of this father in heaven, it has, it has relieved the sort of press of my seeking the recognition of others. I'm not as desperate for that as I once was. And so I think if we can learn what are the thirsts we might be bringing to our ministry that we could be bringing to God, because if we do that, God takes those thirsts and fills them or transforms them or turns them into overflow, rivers of living water flowing from within us, to use Jesus' language in John 7. Um, I could bring an abundance to the people I serve instead of bringing a deficit. Mm, I like I like also in your book how you talk about thirst for peace. Mm. I mean, there's thirst for peace, and I was thinking thirst for rest, because I know I went through a period where that was my big prayer was, Lord, help me to rest in you. Help me to understand how I can not ignore, but fly effectively above the circumstances that seek to weigh me down and make me fearful and anxious and and all of those kinds of things. Um, So I had a definite thirst for rest. And and I really liked how you talked about the thirst for peace. So you're talking about leadership as an, I want to make sure I get this right, Hmm. Overflow? Yeah. Overflow leadership. So talk to us a bit about overflow leadership and what that means. Yeah. So that one of the passages that's meant a lot to me, I sort of hinted at it, at least in theme just a moment ago. But, mm-hmm. you know, in John 7, there's that moment when Jesus is in the temple courts, and it's the last day of one of those great festivals. And he cries out to the crowds around him, is anyone thirsty? If you are, come to me. Those who trust in me, it will be as though rivers of living water flow from within them. So one of the things I see in that unique invitation is Jesus is inviting us to bring our thirsts, and I hear him saying, in a sense, and I will translate those thirsts into rivers. Mm -hmm. So what you bring to me as a deficit, I will return to you as abundance. And what I've found is that when I learn how to receive what I deeply and maybe even desperately feel need for from the God of abundance, the God of peace, or the God of hope, or the God of loving recognition, or whatever it is I feel a deep need for, when I find in God the abundance that meets me there, I then find little by little I have abundance to bring to the people I serve. Too often, what I've brought to people is my deficit. And I've tried my best to serve them. My intention is to do good things for them, but it's very hard for me to bypass the empty spot in me when I'm encountering them. Mm. 
I like that. I like that. Hey, thanks for listening. It is my deep desire and passion to champion issues of sustainability in ministry and for your life. So I'm here to help. I stepped back from pastoral ministry and I feel called to help ministry leaders uh, create and cultivate sustainability in their lives so that they can go the distance with God and whatever plans that God has for you. I would love to help. I would consider it an honor. And in all things, make sure you connect to these sustainability practices, you know, so that you don't become the crabby pastor. <laughs>